0: Well, good morning again. Still got a few minutes before afternoon hits here, but uh, go ahead and grab your seats if you're out in the hall there. Um, First of all, if you didn't grab a notes page, we've got notes here up front. Also got them back there on the uh, hospitality desk. I don't know if you all know too, but we've added notes to the smart app on on your smartphone. I guess it's not a smart app, it's a smartphone, right? The Connect app. You can log in and you can also take notes there so today we just talked about it in the kind of the, the teaser we're going to be looking at Jesus and Genesis and we're going to be looking at the roots of Christianity really the the roots where Christianity came from and today we're going to look at Noah we're going to look at him in a little different light so buckle up it's going to be fun when the story of Noah doesn't start with the rainbow and uh, the ark and the animals, it actually starts in the Bible with uh, God looking at the world and looking at the wickedness and the evil and the corruption. And it doesn't start with, on a high note, right? And uh, as you can see, it is, uh, it's wicked. But that's what's cool, too. You know, he mentioned that. That's a great segue, here <laughs> wicked think about the word wicked when you think of wicked right now in our vernacular wicked's kind of cool isn't it there's a play going on called wicked broadway play it's been running since 2003 has anybody been to it yeah good good play about the wizard of oz and the wicked witches right yeah i have not been there but uh, it's been going but the word wicked also has some other meanings too like you just said wicked right You think about the, I looked up the Urban Dictionary for wicked, and I think Russ found one, it said, what cool northerners tend to say when they want to really express something, it's another way of saying really or very, right? Mine, uh, I looked it up in the Urban Dictionary, cool or hot or amazing or awesome or way out. Wicked, like wicked cool, right, or wicked hot. You know Matt Damon a few years ago was in a movie called Good Will Hunting. If you ever saw that movie, he's in this bar scene with, remember? Yeah, everybody's with uh, Ben Affleck, and and Ben is confronted by this young man. Ben's you know Ben Affleck right? But this guy comes up to him and starts to challenge Ben intellectually, and Ben has a quick fall. <laughs> he can't keep up with this guy. But Matt Damon steps in and starts talking to this guy and just takes him out intellectually. And at the end of that, his friend Matt's friend goes. Man, my my friend here, he's wicked smart, <laughs> wicked smart. And I got my Boston Red Sox crew right in the front here, so you know how that wicked smart is, right? But wicked, seriously, is not a word that we think of like it used to be taken. It, it's it's kind of lost some of its impact. But um, the world in Noah's day, I'm going to try to help set the stage here for you. And so this thing starts out kind of a little bit, a little bit down, but stick with me, okay? But the world in Noah's day was beyond anything we even see today. It was wickedness all over. And when we crafted this message, we kind of wanted to try to get you to, into a feeling of what it was like in that day, okay? And the first thing I want to share with you that is something that's going on today that doesn't get a lot of headlines is human sex trafficking, okay? Human sex trafficking. And... Uh, When I think of that, I usually think overseas, right? I don't know why. Indonesia, Thailand, you think you hear about a little bit of it over there. But would you be surprised to know that that human sex trafficking is rampant over the United States? And I asked this first service, I'll ask again. Do you know what the number one event, if you had a human sex trafficking calendar, the number one event is every year? Super Bowl. That week... That week of Super Bowl, you have thousands of men, right, coming into a town. And there's families, too. Don't get me wrong. But you have a lot of men coming that are staying in hotels. And these human sex traffickers, they bring in underage girls and underage boys in the thousands. And it's, it's big money. And these men, there's no accountability for them, right? They're, a lot of them are away from home. Family, wife, and kids are home. And there's sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? And that's what happens here. And we wanted to put a face with this. And I've got a video I'm going to share with you in just a sec. But this young woman's name is Samantha. And um, I just want you, as you see her, I, I just think about her, that you know, she could be your daughter, right, or your sister, or your niece, or she could even be Samantha, that girl next door, So I want you to watch this video real quick. It's hard when your body's not your own anymore. When it's that time and you still have to work every day, five, six calls a day with guys that are disgusting, that are aggressive. I couldn't say no. I was living in constant fear. It's everywhere in the United States. There are the girls right next door. Anybody can fall victim to it. It's an epidemic. It's an underground epidemic that nobody has any idea about. And it's here. It's everywhere. And it's happening at young ages. Runaways, little girls go missing. This is modern day slavery. This is what it is. It's American girls getting sold to American men in their own hometown. That's what American slavery is today. And you know, it's not just American girls being sold to American men. American boys being sold to American men, too. It's pervasive. And if you think, okay, well, the Super Bowl, yeah, big city, you know, if you think that, you'd be wrong. Um, I, I actually have a really good friend that works with the organization that produced the video, and he represents this kind of an interesting group of ex special forces, ex intelligence, counterintelligence, surveillance. He works with these guys, and these guys work hand-in-hand with law enforcement to uncover these rings, you know, because law enforcement's got its hands full anyway, right? But they uncover these rings. Well, recently, this group turned kind of the lens of their camera onto Montana, because if you notice, though, there was just one little dot on Montana. We have a million people. You know, that's not a lot of people. That's why we live here, right? (laughs) But there's a million people here. But they recently, just late last year, they turned their lens on Montana. They looked at three cities: looked at Billings, looked at Missoula, and Great Falls. I'm not sure why they didn't pick Bozeman. But what they found was this: they, when they look, these ads—now those online ads you saw for girls 18 to 23—they're online. The the ads for the underage children are on what they call the dark web. Or I think there's some apps like Backpage, things like that. People are nodding their heads. That's where they find these. In, just listen to this. In one week in Billings, in Yellowstone County, there were 3,000 ads for underage girls and boys. In Billings, there were 2,500 in Missoula and 2,000 in Great Falls. So this wickedness, this this evil, is just simmering right under the surface, right here in Montana. It's here. Another one we looked at was child abuse. And everybody's heard that, but the statistics are alarming because it's increasing exponentially. You know, last year, a child was literally reported to law enforcement as being abused every 10 seconds in this country. Every 10 seconds. So if you count that off, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. Another child's been abused somewhere in this country. The statistics are horrific. And even in Montana, um, you know, the numbers are growing. The numbers last year nationally, 10 football stadiums, 10 NFL stadiums would be packed with these, these kids that have been abused out of drugs and whatever else that's causing problems. In Montana... There's been a 75% increase in child abuse since just 2008. So wickedness, right? True wickedness in the world is increasing every year, and it's all around us. The last one we looked at is, was terrorism. And you look at terrorism, and I was talking to a friend of mine in back, you know, uh, 57 years old. You know, I don't remember in my life until the last couple of years about any public beheadings, right? Beheadings. I mean, they were middle-aged stuff. And now we're hearing about beheadings, which is another level of evil. ISIS last year in Iraq and Syria, they executed 10,000 men, women, and children in one year in in those two countries. It's wickedness on a global scale. It's wickedness here. And I'm sorry, I know you didn't come here. If you came here for a hopeful, encouraging message, right, we're going to get there. But this wickedness that's in the world today that just brings you down it doesn't hold a comparison to the wickedness that was in Noah's day. Not even compared. It was so wicked. And when God looked out in Noah's day, literally, in this room where we have a hundred and whatever today, 40 people that are here to worship God, there was not one person, other. well, there was one, but everyone else in the world was consistently and totally evil and wicked. They were child abusers, and they were terrorists, and they were human traffickers. There was no one in the whole world that was good. And if you were God, and you think about that, you just created the human race, and you look down on this, what would you do? You know, what would you do? If you were, if you were Samantha's father, or brother, or sister, I know what my heart was, was I want to find these guys right? They'd probably kick my you-know-what, but I'd I'd feel good going after them, right? That's my normal thought, but I want to take it one step farther here, because we serve a loving and compassionate God, and he is righteous, but he's also loving and compassionate. We're going to pick this up. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. It said, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Well, listen to this. The Lord, So the Lord was sorry that he had ever made them. That's humankind. He was sorry that he put them on the earth. And this last one, it broke his heart. You think about it. Just a few short chapters before. We just talked about this in our last series on origins, right? Genesis 1.31. God made us what? In his image, in his likeness. Male and female, he created them. And he didn't just say we were good. He said what? We're very good. In the human timeline, that's 1,600 years. Fast forward to that. God is sorry. It broke his heart to see the depravity of man on the world. Verse 7, the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I've created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing. All the people, The large animals, even the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. And then he says it again. I am sorry I ever made them. This is really hard, you guys. You know, first of all, it's a hard message to share because it, it... At this point, there's very, very little hope here. And, you know, I I hear people say all that time, how can you serve, call this God of love and compassion and, and mercy when he wiped out the whole human race? You guys ever hear that? How could a God do that? How could a God do that? And then you step back and you go, God is a God of love, and he is a God of love, of mercy and compassion, but he's also a God of justice, and he's righteous, and God has to make things right, and he had to do it here. He had to make things right. So the good news, verse 8. But Noah found favor with the Lord. One man, Noah, found favor with the Lord. And if you think about it, God probably had every right to just wipe out humanity, and we wouldn't be here today, would we? But when those people ask you that, how could this God of yours, how 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 could he wipe out the whole human race? Well, how could we be here if he did that, right? God's love and his compassion, it trumped his anger. He, for one man, Noah. Noah found favor with the Lord. And because of that, we're here today. Amen? It's a good thing. It's a good thing. We were rescued. That's the main point on your outline. We were rescued. i got a question for you guys. Um, change of pace here. How many of you have ever been caught in a flood, like a flash flood? I see some hands? Yeah. Not very fun, is it? I, was, uh, I grew up in uh, the Dakotas in Rapid City in the Black Hills, and I'll never forget, I was 12 years old, 1972. There was a huge flood that came through, and uh, we lived um, actually about 10 miles up what they call Rimrock Highway. And to give you an example, a lot of you haven't been there, but there's a huge reservoir up there, even bigger than Highlight. That called Pactola, that holds water. And it's like highlight. It provides water, drinking water, for the town. This storm came in. And, you know, there it's like here. The storms come in and they go on, right? They move through. This storm came in on a Friday night. And it started raining about 5.30 or 6, I remember. And it rained like I've never seen rain come down. In fact, the farmers back in Kansas where I lived for a while says it, it rained like a cow peeing on a flat rock. <laughs> I can say that, I think. You ever see a cowpea on a flat rock? Coming down pretty hard. I'll probably hear about that Monday. (laughs) But literally, seriously, guys, it rained. I mean, it was a downpour, and it didn't just rain for 10 or 15 minutes. I remember watching this. I was at my house, and it continued just to... The the storm literally stalled, and they can't explain it. It was an act of nature. Uh, But it stalled, and in a period of about two and a half hours... 18 inches of rain. And literally, we lived like 12 miles up. We were between Pactola and town. And by 8 o'clock, our bridge to our house, our house up here, our bridge was gone. It was just gone. And then I'm watching trailer houses float down this huge swollen creek and propane tanks and all kinds of other things I'm not going to get into. But I was 12 years old. Well, that water continued to collect and collect and collect, right? Until it hit town at about... 9.30 9.30 to 10 o'clock. And back then there was no internet, no smartphones chirping, warning, get to high ground. There was none of that. And I don't think anybody really knew how bad it was. And when that water hit town, it was 20 feet high because it funneled. So you can imagine like it coming out of Highlight Canyon. That's what it did. And it just, it hit town with a force. The, the worst thing was there was an old reclamation dam called Canyon Lake. That was a dam there, and the water hit Canyon Lake. And the water in Canyon Lake added, and the dam failed quickly. And uh, that night, 238 people lost their lives. They were in their homes. They, were, they never had a chance. Never had a chance that water hit them. I lost a couple of friends that were in my class. My school got flooded. And, uh, you know, it, it was it was a really difficult night. The Bible tells us, though, that the flood that hit... Noah's day, was on a global scale. Global. And and digging into the message, it's interesting because I think, you know, this is just me, I won't say for you, but I'm thinking, okay, the flood that I experienced was a downpour, right? So I'm thinking that's kind of what happened. Downpour that just didn't stop, right? And the water slowly came up. The Bible talks about water coming from everywhere, up from the ground, right? Right? and from the seas in and the i mean literally water came from every direction all at once we've got a short video i want you to see to kind of give you a feeling for that intense huh you know what I didn't share this first service but the Bible says that God actually shut the door behind Noah and his family did you see that door shut behind him and we don't know if Noah got caught out in the water that's a little bit of Hollywood but God literally closed the door on the, on the ark but we, the, here's the thing the human race we all of us in this room we were saved from a physical death extinction really by one man by Noah. So in your outline here, our, our big idea is we were rescued. But point one is we were, rescued, we were rescued through one man's righteousness. One man's righteousness. And the Bible goes on to share it on Noah. It says, but Noah found favor with the Lord. You remember Noah was the only righteous, blameless man walking on the earth. You Think about that. Now, he wasn't sinless. We know that later in the story that Noah had a moral failure, right? He planted a vineyard. He got a little carried away with wine, and things happened. He wasn't sinless, but he was the only righteous, blameless man. And because of him, God took compassion and mercy on us, and we were rescued through one righteous man. The Bible says, this is the account of Noah. This is uh, verse 9. And his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. He was the only man worshiping God, only man in all of humanity. And because of that, we were rescued. And Noah foreshadowed Jesus because Jesus was the only sinless, righteous, blameless man that ever walked the earth. Amen? He foreshadowed him. And through Jesus, we're saved from eternal death. Chas talked about us being spiritual as well as physical. The spiritual side of us, without Jesus, we would die spiritually. But Jesus saved us from that. Amen, amen. So looking at, uh, Paul talks about this to the second church in Corinthians. And he says in uh, chapter five, verse 21, for God made Christ who never sinned To be the offering for our sin. Literally to become sin itself so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Jesus never sinned, but yet he became sin. He became sin for us. And through him, he made a way. He was righteous, Russ has been talking the last few weeks about the whole sacrificial system, right? The animal sacrifice and how God demanded a sacrifice and how there had to be shed blood. And Jesus, Jesus, his blood on the cross was the the ultimate final sacrifice for us. It ushered out the animal sacrifice system. And Jesus took our sin and our penalty and our pain on that cross and he he traded places with us. So we were rescued by one man's righteousness, Noah in the Old Testament, he's the only blameless man and by Jesus who was who never sinned and yet took our sin upon himself. Point 2. We were rescued through one man's finished work. We're going to go back to Noah. Because God gives Noah some very specific instructions on how to build this boat. You know, um, I, I think about we're right in the middle of interviewing architects for our building. And it's interesting because it's, it's a new process for me to build a building. And it's, you know, it's called design and build, right? And there's design builders, and these architects help you with that. And God was the master architect. He already had the design for the ark for Noah. And he tells Noah, he says, build this large boat out of cypress wood. Materials are important. And he says, cover it with tar inside and out to make it waterproof. And then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. He goes, make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet tall. So let me help you get, get your mind around that. The 450 long, that's a football field and a half long. Football field and a half. 75 feet, you guys, is from that wall to that wall. So it's the width of this building, which is kind of neat. We're in the ark. Did you know that? But we're only on one level. 45 feet tall. You know, the Baxter Hotel's six stories. Eight. If you count the top little thing, it's seven, but it's got six stories. So the ark was almost as tall as the Baxter Hotel. That is a big boat. Build a large boat. And I think, you know, about the time that he gave them these dimensions, Noah's like, what? <laughs> Why am I building a big boat? They, they're not sure where Noah and his family lived before the flood, but they think it was in Egypt, fairly close to the Nile. But he's probably going, God, why am I building a boat like this? But God tells him, he says, look, Noah, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood. It will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. But, he says, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So here's the thing, Noah. When the time comes, I want you to enter the boat, you, your wife, your sons, and their wives, and then bring a pair of every kind of animal, male and female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Very specific. How to build it, engineer it. It was already done. It was a building that Noah needed to do. And here's what's cool. Verse 22. It says, So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how Noah did it, does it? I mean, tell you what, those women must have stood pretty tall with those men down there. You know, I figure the wives were right there. We know about them. We don't know who else helped. But we do know this, that God gave Noah enough time to construct that massive boat. And so through the work of one man, you know, we were saved. We were saved. And again, this foreshadows Jesus when you think the work that Jesus did, John chapter 17, verse 4, Jesus is praying to God here, and he says, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Amen? He brought glory to God. You think about the work Jesus did. If you just kind of run that through your head, I mean, bless you, uh, you know, We talked about his birth and how he was on the run from, his, you know, from the day he was born practically, right? They're on the run from the Romans. And then you know, there's a period of time we don't know where Jesus is at, but then um, he goes into his earthly ministry and he's led out into the desert for 40 days. No food. I know I couldn't make it, guys, 40 days. I can't make it. <laughs> a day I have a hard time. But imagine that, 40 days in the desert, no food. Being tempted by Satan himself, you talk about really, really difficult work that he had to do. And then once he called his disciples, here he's got the church of the day, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, dogging him constantly, trying to catch him, trip him up. Imagine they were following him around, right? The ultimate stalkers. And then you got the Romans everywhere, right? The Romans are everywhere, looking for just a reason. Just a reason, you know, to, beat, to beat, beat them down. And then it comes up to the crucifixion, and I think about the Garden of Gethsemane, and when he's in the garden, and, you know, he's, he's praying, and he's just praying, God, if you can take this cup from me, please. But then he says, but not thy will, but my will be done. But he, during that time that he's praying all night long, he's, he's sweating, and it said it was like great drops of blood. He's going through this agony, this torment. Internally, spiritually. And then physically on Good Friday, he's arrested and scourged and beaten and whipped and then forced to carry a 120-pound cross up to Golgotha, up to the, the hill. And then ultimately nailed to a cross. I mean, it's the worst death the, the Romans could come up with was crucifixion. He literally asphyxiated up there. This is the work that Jesus completed. You know, and the, here's the good news, you guys. Jesus did it all, amen? Yeah. He did it all. In our small group this week, I was talking to a, one of our people. She said, you know, I just have a hard time believing that I don't have to do any more other than just trust in Jesus. It's kind of hard, isn't it? But he took it. He took our penalty. His, our sin, he, he made a trade. He suffered death that we wouldn't have to suffer a spiritual death. So we're rescued through one man's finished work. First of all, Noah finished the ark and saved us from extinction. And then Jesus went to the cross to save us from spiritual death, from eternal death. Finally, point 3, we were rescued through a new covenant. Genesis 9:12, back to Noah. The floods of the waters receded, Noah finally comes out of the ark with his family, and there's God. God says, I am giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is a sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. And then God shared the covenant, which is an agreement. A covenant is an agreement. He said, never again will the floodwaters destroy all life. So I want to encourage you guys, when you see a rainbow, it always makes you smile, doesn't it? But It's that first covenant that God had with us. That he promised that never again would he destroy the earth with water. And that was the first covenant with Noah and with all humankind. We were rescued. And God made that covenant. And with Jesus in the New Testament, he also ushered in a new covenant. And you remember this in Luke 22, chapter 14. This was the the night before Jesus went to the cross and there it's the last supper and i mean just last week we shared communion right and this is the story of that and when the time came Jesus and the apostles they sat down together at the table Jesus tells them he's been eager to share this meal before his suffering begins and he said that he wouldn't eat this meal again until its meaning was fulfilled in the kingdom of god so he took wine and he it, and shared it with all of his disciples. And then he took the bread. And a lot of us have heard the story, but he broke the bread and he said, take and eat, this is my body given for you for the remission of sins. And then he said this, do this in what? Remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, then he took another, he took a cup of wine. And this is the new covenant. It's the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So the rainbow, God's first covenant. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was the new covenant, the covenant that we live under today. Never again will we have to, as you know, we don't sacrifice bulls. We don't bring doves to church or goats or sheep or any other kind of small animals. That would be pretty hard, wouldn't it? Because Jesus paid that price once and for all for us. So, we learned three things today. One, we were rescued through one man, right? In the Old Testament, it was Noah. In the New Testament, it was Jesus. We were rescued through one man's finished work. In Noah, it was the ark. In Jesus, it was the final sacrifice on the cross. And we were rescued by God with a new covenant. In Noah's day, it was a covenant, and I'll put the rainbow up there, never again will I destroy the the earth with water. And the new covenant now is that in Jesus, it's all been paid. Your sins are cleansed through faith in Jesus Christ. He has paid the price. But I want you to think about something. We still know there's wickedness on the earth world. We, I just I spent the first third of this message just horrifying most of you with life, <laughs> but we know there's wickedness, right it 's here, and, and is it getting less or more it's growing. I mean, you even look i won 't get off there, but you just look at what 's going on in our country and the divide we 're seeing the wickedness, the evil is growing in the world, and you know. Guys, God is a God of love. He's a God of mercy, of compassion. We're saying that he's a good, good father. He loves us, but he's also a righteous God that has to make things right. We get that, right? And he's going to have to make things right again here because it's getting darker and darker out there. You know, Jesus talked about this. Last scripture here, Matthew 24. It says, when the Son of Man returns, this is Jesus looking to the future, it will be like it was in Noah's day. Can you imagine that? It's going to get worse. It's going to get darker. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties right up to the time that Noah went into the boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen to them until the flood came and swept them away. This is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. And that day's coming soon. We don't know when. But it's coming soon. And we need to be ready, don't we? We need to be ready. So go ahead and put your things aside here for a minute, if you would. You know, one of the things that we always like to do when we look at something like this is to go, you know, what is Jesus requiring of me today? What, what does Jesus want to do with you and I today? Right? What is this? What's the application here? It's a great story. We've got lots of cool visuals. But what do I walk out of here with? Right? Not just, hey, Jeff had a pretty good message, you know? I might come back and hear him. Not that. What does God require of me or you today? And I think there's two things here. First, there's the people right now that may be in this room, and I don't know. And I'm not going to judge your heart, but God knows where you're at. Those people that are standing outside the boat just like that picture right there and they're looking at that door and they realize if that flood came they're not in the boat and it may be you today it may be you today that you're not in the boat that right now the boat the door is open the door is open God has not shut that door yet gang it's open for us right It's open. But what's interesting is we have to step through that door. You know, Jesus in Revelation 3.20, at the very end of the book, Jesus said, look. He goes, look. (laughs) I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. I knock. And if you hear my voice, if you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in and I will share a meal with you. You know, God doesn't kick that door down. He doesn't grab us and throw us in there, does he? I had somebody told me one time, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. Isn't he? Amen? He's a gentleman. He wants you to step through. You have to take hold of that gift. You have to take hold of it. You have to open it up. You have to open up your heart to Jesus and say yes. So let's go ahead and bow our heads right now. I just want to pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If you're that person right now that's here, maybe you came in today and you you didn't realize that you needed a rescue, but you do now. You hear that still, small voice in your heart. That's that's God's Holy Spirit talking to you right now, saying, it's time to get in the boat. You need to be rescued. Time is short. I'm coming soon. And... God knows. Jesus, you're, he may come this afternoon. He may come right after lunch. We don't know. But we need to be ready. So if you're that person today that needs rescue, that needs to hold on to Jesus and take him up on his invitation, his offer, take him up on his lordship. Ask him to become your lord and savior. If you're that person today would you just raise your hand up? Just slip your hand up real quick. If there's anybody here, we just don't want to miss this opportunity for you to pray for you. Anybody at all? Well I am encouraged by that. I am encouraged by that. The other part of this message, I think is for all of us that have that have already gotten on the boat. We've already been rescued. What are we to do with that today? Lord, I just I just want to pray for everyone in this room right now, God. That you would make us so intentional, so that we would reflect your glory. That your light would shine through us to everyone we meet when we step out of that door today and we meet people that don't know you, Lord, that they would see us and ask us, "What's different about you?" God, what's different? Why do you have this hope? I'm drowning out here. (laughs) I'm drowning in debt. I'm drowning in addiction, or I'm drowning in whatever. Why are you different? Help us to be that to them, Lord. Use us. Use us. The time is short, God. I pray that you would use everyone in this room, that you would strengthen them, and let them just share your word. Share your word. I also want to pray. I know there's a, there's a few here today that are facing some medical issues, procedures, that need your healing touch, God. And just corporately, I want to pray for them. There's power in the name of Jesus. Amen? Yes, yes. Power yes. in the name. And whether two or more are gathered in your name, Lord, there you are as well. Yes. So we pray for these that need healing right now and pray your healing touch on them, Lord. Yes. You know the number of hairs on their head. Yes. God. Restore them, put in them a new heart. Restore them physically and spiritually. Give them a hope for the future, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are here, that you break every chain. Ah, You break every chain. We just ask this in Jesus' powerful name. The church said, Amen. amen.